You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. What's up, music lovers? Welcome to Modern Musicology. My name is Alan, and with me, I have some really, really amazing people that I love. First being former Aquanetta's drummer, current solo artist, and bird enthusiast, Stephanie Seymour. Howdy! <laughs> I've got DJ, journalist, and all-around music encyclopedia, Rob Levy. Sup? And music connoisseur, bass player, guy from London, Anthony Williams. Collaborations don't work. They don't work. They don't work. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Including ours. I think ours works pretty well. I think ours is I good. think it does too. Okay, good. All right. So as Anthony teased, we are talking all about collaborations this week. They may be good ones. There may be bad ones. But we are talking about when different artists come together and work on a project together, whether they be performer and performer, performer and producer, whatever. We're going to cover all different kinds of combinations, good and bad. So before we jump into that, though, let's talk about what we've all been listening to this past week. Rob, what's on your list? I am super excited because I got an advanced copy of Time's Arrow, which is the new record from Ladytron. Ooh. Um, I friggin' love Ladytron. Um, I actually opened for them once, DJing a set here, um, and they're painfully nice. But they have a new record. It's their first record, I think, in like at least seven years. Uh, it's called Time Zero. The single City of Angels is out. It's fantastic. It sounds just like all their other records. And how they sounded in 2002 and three um, sounds still relevant now, but everybody else is sort of catching up to them. So I, I love that record. Um, the record that I uh, cannot stop listening to, and I'm hearing sort of by osmosis, both you know at, at, at the record store and in coffee houses and, you know, stores just kind of by happenstance is uh cool it down the new record from the aas um yeah that thing is that thing is back uh in full-on you know that band is back in full-on mode i mean they're everywhere now they just played um a couple festivals and they played a couple one-off gigs i think new york la and chicago um Karino's voice is great um it's the closest thing to you know blondie we're gonna get now kids so they're great. And uh, surprisingly, um, the Pixies have a new record called Dog Roll. That's weird. And I was just thinking about them. They do? Yeah, they have a new mm -hmm. album called Dog Roll, and it's really good. Um, it's really, really good. The last couple records have been kind of spotty. This one's actually really, really good. So, cool. um, yeah, I'm really, I'm, I'm really happy with that. So uh, that's what I have. That's awesome. Yeah. Anthony. So I, I we were talking before the show, we hosted a little Halloween shindig at my place last night. And so I spent most of the last week listening to songs that are vaguely horror themed, Halloween-y, and I'm not going to talk too much about it because 
we're going to cover that in a future show. Right. But that's been everything from um, Rockwell to Blue Oyster Cult to Shakira to the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. So get more into detail on that next time around, I think. So I'm going to shut them. Or shut them, I should say. <laughs> Steph, what you've been listening to? So I've been um, listening to old things and new and one new thing. But I am... Um, I, People know I'm a bird watcher, but if for the listener that doesn't, I'm a really hardcore bird watcher. And so I drove down to Cape May for a day at the Hawk platform. So it was a three-hour drive there and a three-hour drive home. So I put on my phone, I plug my phone into my car thing, and my the, the Queen's, uh, Queen's Greatest Hits came on. But I couldn't get it off the like rotation either. So like it got stuck. So for three hours, I was listening to like, fat bottom girls like over and over and just like (laughs) singing at the top of my lungs and just like totally on a queen trip and then coming home i i got stuck on billy joel's greatest hits which was kind of awesome but then i started having a panic attack so i had to pull over to a rest area and i got i felt was like billy joel i was associating with the panic attack so i put on asia by steely dan for the rest of the ride home so <laughs> i was like that'll mellow you out yeah i was old timing out and um, the uh, oh yes what very quickly say? steph did you ever watch how i met your mother the show Mm-mm. there's oh, an yes. episode that's a flashback to like their teenage years when they just got a car and they get a cassette <laughs> stuck and it's just i will walk 500 miles on repeat <laughs> And it sounds like you you inadvertently got stuck with that, but fortunately with a whole album rather than just one song. Yeah, I had more than one song, which was a few. And it was great as hits, too, for two of them. So there was a long, you know, there was a yeah. lot of songs. And the other thing uh, is, like, while I am bird watching lately, I, I've i been catching up on all my episodes of the Smartless podcast, which I love. Not like they need a plug for me or anything, but like, they're just so great. Every episode is hilarious. And I find like, I, I sit outside a lot and I talk to myself and my, my internal monologue becomes an external monologue. <laughs> and this calms the monologue down. <laughs> I can just sit there and listening, listen to them and laugh and just count birds. And that's what I've been listening to. What's that podcast about? Well, it's Jason Bateman, um, Sean Hayes, and Will Arnett, and it's those three guys always get a surprise guest to come on, and um, one of them does, and the other two don't know who the guest is, and then they just have an interview session with them. Oh, so, and, but they always have someone huge, like like Will Ferrell's on, or like John Stewart. You know, it's like amazing <laughs> guests they have because right. they're also, you know, they're huge. Yeah, well, that sounds like fun. <laughs> it's awesome. So this past week, I, well, this past weekend, I hosted a fall fest at my library. So a lot of what I was listening to this past week was stuff that I was assembling for a playlist for the four hours that we were doing the fall fest because I wasn't able to get any live music. So I was like, well, I'll just put together, you know, a playlist and we'll just play all kinds of stuff. So I played, I did a lot, you know, a lot of what, comes to these kind of things at library events are families with younger kids. So I picked a lot of like clean modern hits, but then mixed a lot of really fun, dancey kind of stuff from 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s. So it was this big jumble of all kinds of different things. So no matter what age you were coming to the thing, you would eventually hear something that you would like. So that was a lot of fun. But in the midst of that, um, 
I kind of came across this fairly new artist. She's got a couple of albums out and I've only been aware of her for like the past maybe three or four months, um, having heard a song here and there. But I heard um, there's a song called The Walls Are Way Too Thin. And the artist is Holly Humberstone. And I've heard it before, but something about it this week just really, really grabbed me. So I've been listening to Holly Humberstone a lot and really enjoying her. Um, so if you're into, she's kind of poppy. She's sort of like, but not in sort of like an obnoxious way. She's, I love her hooks. I love her melodies. I think she's a really great writer. Um, production is always really good. So I, I highly recommend if you're into like just nice, you know, fun, catchy pop music, go give Holly Humberstone a try. Cool. All right. That is it for this. So we are going to take a super quick break. We are going to come right back in 30 seconds and we are going to be talking about collaborations. So stick around. We'll be right back. In the Cosmic Pizza Podcast, your pizza delivery guys, Dan, Sean, and Paul, serve you a slice of life. We talk to women in comedy, voice actors, film directors and producers, authors. We also talk about conspiracy theories, the Muppets, our top three films of the decades, famous people we confuse with each other, and our favourite stand-up comedians. We have recast Star Trek The Original Series and Babylon 5, and created our alternative superheroes. But most of all, we have had so much fun doing it every two weeks. Two weeks! The Cosmic Pizza Podcast is not about the cosmos or about pizza. All right, we are back, and as we said earlier, we are talking about collaborations between artists, between artist and producer, between songwriters, whatever we come up with, between group and group, maybe two different groups combined together to form something new. We're going to explore it all, the good and the bad. So here we go. Stephanie, you got something you want to start us off with? I do. Um, actually, I'm starting off with Stevie Nicks and two of her collaborators from the Belladonna record. So the first one was uh, with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, which was Stop Dragging My Heart Around, which was pretty much like an, inis you could not get away from that song in 1982 or what, 1981, whatever it was. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, which, which was a good thing because that, like, that was a, just such, it's such a classic song. It was written by Tom Petty and Mike Campbell, and yeah. it was the first sing, uh, single off of Belladonna which was her solo album. But like, so basically the Heartbreakers were working on a version of that, but then Jimmy Iovine, who was producing Stevie, said maybe she could try it. And they, they were like, yeah, let's, you know, they had already had the track done. And um, then it ended up being that famous duet, you know, with her and the band and Tom really. But the whole band was, um, the Heartbreakers are, are the band on that. Yeah. And then... Um, also on Belladonna, Leather and Lace by, um, with Don Henley, Stevie and Don Henley, mm -hmm. which is just a beautiful song. I mean, she, she said that she wrote it for Waylon Jennings and Jesse, uh, Coulter's album, which was actually called Leather and Lace, but then it never made the album. So then she, um, she recorded it with Don Henley and, and that was that history. <laughs> If I remember the story rightly, they were working on the Hard Promises album. Uh, this is going back to Tom Petty. Tom course. Petty, yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, so they had Stevie in doing some guest vocals on a couple of things. And they had intended for the song Insider to go to Belladonna. 
Mm -hmm. But she was like, you know, I love this song, but I really need another rocker for my record. So could I have Stop Dragging instead? Yeah, or like so Jimmy how, suggested it for that. Yeah. Uh -huh. So that's how Stop Dragon ended up on Stevie's record. And yeah. Insider is on uh, Hard Promises. Which is such a great and, song. Oh, my God. I love that song so much. I know. Oh, my God. It is amazing. Yeah. And on that tour that year, Stevie would just show up at, you know, random mm -hmm. shows here and there. And they would do um, oh, oh, a cover of Country Classic. And I can't remember what it was now. Um, and then Insider and then Stop Dragon. So they would do three songs with Stevie. And um, I, I never got to see one of those shows, but I hear they were great. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Next. All right. So I, I only really off. have one main one I wanted to talk about. Um, and that is Franz Ferdinand and Sparks with the FFS project. Well, okay. I was going to guess it would either have to be Porcupine Tree or something Steve Wilson or Sparks. Yeah. And um, I mean, the, I sang a snippet of their song collaborations don't work at the beginning of the episode. Of course it was going to be FFS. <laughs> exactly. And what I think is so interesting about it was just how they started out, you know, when Franz Ferdinand first hit the music scene, they met kind of say oh we should do something sometime and then they disappear they don't talk to each other for a while they kind of fall out of touch until alex kapranos is walking down the street in i think it was la and he's heading to the dentist to get a tooth he's chipped fixed and runs into ron and russell and they talk and they end up going okay yeah let's let's maybe get a few songs together maybe do an ep and as they kept working they were like well this is going so well that maybe this could be an entire album and it's one of those things where you get the sounds of the two bands merging so incredibly well uh it's not a sparks album it's not a franz ferdinand album it is sparks and franz ferdinand coming together to do something really really special and something that is quite quite unique um and it's it's one of my favorite albums i would say of all time Really, really love that one. And Rob, I know you've got a few things to say on that too. I mean, the only thing I wish is one, I could have seen the tour. And two, Same. I wish I could have seen the tour early. Yeah. Um, because like another album I'm going to mention later, uh, the collaboration worked really well in the studio. When it got to be live, it got to be problematic. Yeah. And if you... A, a lot of footage from that tour is on YouTube. And if you see one of the early shows, like the Glastonbury show, the chemistry is phenomenal. But you look at some of the later ones, um, particularly they they played a festival in Paris, Rock and Sane. And um, Capronos just looks kind of pissed off the whole time. Like he's lost all of that spark and all of that joie de vivre mm -hmm. that he had early in the tour. You see, French uh festival so i had to throw in a french term um but by the end he's just looking pissed off um which is ironic because they have a song called piss off um but yeah i'm with you rob i i wish i could have seen them on one of the early shows and the, and the singles the, the two singles they did call me and um johnny delusional are great i mean call call girl call girl call me yeah Blondie. sorry yeah see where my head is um yeah call girl and then um Johnny Delusional, Johnny. which both bands are doing on tours, which is which is also interesting. Yeah, I didn't realize Franz Ferdinand were doing Cool Girl. Um, I thought they had more or less disowned it because 
Sparks have continued to do Johnny Delusional on basically every tour since, and Franz Ferdinand have more or less ignored the album. So it's cool to hear they're still doing something. Yeah, I think it's um, sporadic. I don't think it's, you know, I think it's special occasions when they do a really long encore and they've played everything else or just certain spots. They're not, it's not in their regular set. Um, I can go because I'll, I'll, I'll make okay. this, I'll make this old school and weird. So um, in 1964, Stan Getz, who's an amazing jazz uh, saxophonist, made an album with uh, Jao Gilberto. Uh, Brazilian bossa nova singer. Uh, bossa nova came over in the states in the late fifties and early sixties. It was really taking off. There was this like passion worldwide for like bossa nova music, and they made a record. And they got uh, Antonio Carlos Jobim to play guitar on it and compose some of the tracks. And the record is Getz Gilberto, and then it won an, it won a Grammy. And then later they made a live album of it, recorded at Carnegie Hall. And you can actually hear the very same sort of collaborative spirit that's on that record in the live concert. And if you're wondering what this record is, you've heard Girl from Ipanema. This is where it's from. Right. It's so listenable, too. I mean, you don't have to love jazz to listen to it. That's the great thing. It's just it's so listenable and approachable. I'm going to do a 180 from that. How about? Yeah. I'm going to take us back to 1986. Actually, that's in the future from where you were, Rob. But um, <laughs> I'm going to go that's with all relative. It is right. I'm going with Run DMC and Aerosmith version of Walk yeah. This Way, and yep. that's from their Raising Hell album, which is their third, which is Run DMC's third album on profile. And I, I mean, I, I don't think you can under as undersell the the impact that this had with the crossover of rap into the whole mainstream population really i mean it was sort of the first song that that they were i think they were the first hip-hop act to go into the top five from that um that tune but you know they really they crossed over audiences they just blew the doors open and even in the video they literally blew the doors open and the walls open and people who are into rock you know got into hip-hop because of it and vice versa um it was just, you know, there was four massive singles from that album. That I think that album went like triple, triple platinum or something. Um, you know, they had like King of Rock before that and Rockbox. They sort of used some rock elements, but this was the first one that really just flew huge. So, and and, and it was also the start of the, that kind of trend in in rap and rock. There was a lot more mixing of the genres after that uh, song became really huge. So I think mm -hmm. it's so important and so influential. They mm -hmm. just did, they did like a huge service to, you know, both genres with, with that, that cover. And I, that I want to piggyback on that stuff yeah. because you fast forward a few years and you get Anthrax and Public Enemy coming totally. together to do Bring the Noise. D That's totally. exactly yeah. what I was going to say. Yes. You take, you take an angrier rap band and a more aggressive rock band yep. and Again, it's dynamite. It's just, it's so good. And mm -hmm. then they went out on tour together. Um, and I mean, I was way too young to see the two of them on tour together because I think I would have been about five when that tour happened. <laughs> Meanwhile, um, I was like working that record, whatever. <laughs> but also, but I bet that tour was insane. In, I'll, yeah. I'll bet. Yeah. I bet it was. But there had been a, there had been quite a disdain for rap from mm -hmm. rock yeah. fans. You know, 
And I think that, but not in the talk- underground, not under, not in the underground. That it was already brewing. Like I'm, I yeah. remember. Yeah. yeah, but in the mainstream, yeah, mainstream, which is what totally. which is what this song did. Yeah. It brought those two genres together in the mainstream sure. in a way that both audiences could get behind, and I think it was so hugely important. Yes. And the video also, too, I mean, you know, another one you couldn't really get away from, but in a good way, because it was so great. And yeah. and um, it was such a, uh, just a like, the, you could see the camaraderie between them all. And I think it was so beautiful. So that's my, that's my. Yeah. What I think is interesting, too, about that, uh, that video was sort of like the calm down moment for MTV almost, because they ran that video so much that that sort of opened the door for them to put more rap in their mainstream programming mm-hmm. that wouldn't sort of, um, it was, I guess we could call it a soft opening now. Right. But it, it sort of opened MTV up to more rap without freaking people out. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. Well then while we're talking about 1986, <laughs> I've got one and mine is sort of prog adjacent. So this collaboration comes from two of the greatest rock guitarists in the prog field, one from Genesis and one from Yes. And I'm talking about Steve Hackett and Steve Howe. And they formed a band called GTR, which, of course, is the three consonants in the word guitar. And this album, they only did one album unfortunately but it was uh it was i just love this album so much the they had there was a couple of singles from it but the only one that got any real play was the first one called when the heart rules the mind and it was such a good album most of the material was written by the the two steves together jeff downs from uh asia and uk uh who was also in the band um no, it wasn't in the band, actually. Uh, wrote one called The Hunter, which was a phenomenal song. And Steve and Steve both got solo pieces. Uh, Steve Howe did your typical Steve Howe classical guitar solo. And Steve Hackett did a full band instrumental called Hackett to Bits. <laughs> and just a phenomenal record. So good. I absolutely love it. Um, the the singer in the band was uh, just a powerhouse. And I don't think many people, especially like the hardcore proggies, you know, really kind of remember fondly this record. And a lot of them didn't seem to appreciate the the, the singer. And I think he's fantastic. So I absolutely love that album. And um Speaking of Asia, that was sort of a collaboration as well. It was sort of a prog super group coming together to form yeah, a, totally. you know, to form a sort of like a, a pop version of a prog band where it definitely had prog, prog leanings in the song arrangements and stuff, but it was very, very top 40 friendly. So I will go with those for my first two picks GTR and Asia. So that actually brings me on to a slightly more esoteric question of are supergroups truly a collaboration? Exactly, exactly. And both of these sort of fit that. And I think that GTR does because it started out as a partnership between the two Steves. They co-wrote everything except for the one song they did from Jeff Downs. Um, and 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 I do think so. Uh, I'm I'm a little less sure on that when it comes to Asia. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's, it's things like 
I really enjoyed um, them crooked vultures, for example. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, Dave, Dave Grohl, Josh Harden, John Paul Jones. Yeah. Is that a collaboration? I, I'm not sure I would call it a collaboration. To me, that was they came together as yeah. a band. Yeah. Uh, really cool album. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, how, how does one define a collaboration versus a guest spot, for example? Um, right. I think if someone is, is doing a true guest spot and they don't necessarily have an input in the songwriting, in the composition, in the arrangement, they're just there to sing a vocal or play a guitar solo or something like, um, you know, Michael Jackson had a couple of really great guest lead guitar players, you know, Van yeah, Halen. Yeah, like Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so is I don't consider those collaborations. Yeah, no, because there was showing any... up on on the Porcupine Tree song, for example, not a collaboration. That's a guest spot. There you go. I had to get it in. You know, I did. <laughs> Porcupine Tree. What? <laughs> <laughs> I'll t- I'll do over if you, if it's okay. I'll do another one. Well, I mean, you've got pages and pages of ideas. I have pages. So, yeah. So yeah, you may as well. This could be a solo Steph yeah, show. Yeah. Yeah. Prep next time. right exactly do some fucking work um well okay um i've got the whole album of wrecking ball by emmylou harris um her 18th album which was released in 1995 and her producer was daniel lenoir and um this album was like really pretty much universally praised and won the 1996 Grammy for best contemporary folk recording, which I don't know if, I mean, to me, this album, yeah, it's folky, but there's also, I don't know, there's so many different elements to it, but really like what Daniel Lenoir added were for, for Emmylou that sort of really changed the whole sound of, of, of this album, which was so such a departure from her was like, the you know the delay his delay and reverb thing on the electric guitar and he also but he also would play like mandolin on a lot of songs so there was this whole traditional kind of element to it also um it it just sort of brought like a wide sonic scope to her album plus it had an amazing list of guest musicians on it um larry mullen was the drummer for almost all the songs uh brian blade played at the other songs that larry wasn't playing on Neil Young, I mean, he wrote he wrote Wrecking Ball, the title track, um, and he also sung back up on it. Daniel Lenoir was all over this record, not just producing, but playing. Um, and the, the McGarrigal sisters, Anna and Kate, were also on it. And um, one of my favorites, actually my favorite song on this album, which is called Going Back to Harlan, was written by um, Anna McGarrigal. So I just think that, that it's such a, it, it really was like a sonic thing that he, 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 put his stamp on that album and made it into something. They both brought their own elements in, but it was made a much bigger overall kind of statement. And I think that's really how a successful collaboration should be. They've got to bring in their own elements to give us something slightly different than what either one would do without the other one. Exactly. Um, Speaking of which... One collaboration I really have enjoyed a lot is the work that Tony Iommi of Black Sabbath and Glenn Hughes have done together, kind of co-headlining as solo pro, well, not solo projects, but collaborative projects. So Glenn was originally on the terribly unsuccessful Black Sabbath album, Seventh Star. He got fired halfway through the tour because he was, a, I mean, he will have 
he admits in his autobiography he was a shit show um really messed up on drugs got into a fight with a roadie um <laughs> real real mess um but years later they they stayed friends despite that and got back together and actually did a couple of albums together and the second one is called fused which i think is what a successful collaboration should be a fusion of the two artists <laughs> and having you know t- tony iomi's um crushing riffs and i think that's the only way to describe his work as some that he is the the lord of the metal riff in my opinion along with glenn's slightly more soulful and soaring vocals it worked so well it was really cool it's it's nothing necessarily groundbreaking it's not something that other metal bands haven't done similar things to but just i feel like you've got two of the ogs on that together doing something cool so shout out for that from me that's a good one um so stephanie yours made me think of one that i had on my list and um that was the two albums but particularly that first album by allison krauss and robert plant yes raising sand great what an amazing record and there wasn't a lot of original material on that it was mostly you know blues and folk covers and but they it was them coming together to form they're taking from these very two different musical traditions and coming together to sort of form a new sound around found songs you know it's Mm -hmm. not like they're writing material specifically for this project there was a little bit of that but most of it was them coming together with these songs from you know american heritage and you know just all these things that they sort of like fused together into this one album that was so amazing and then they did another album together 14 years later yeah. it, it didn't it didn't quite have the same impact that raising sand did but raising sand was so unique for the time that it came out yeah, that's so, incredible. That's incredible. And and you're right. It t- they totally they 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 took this these songs and they made them their own, really. Yeah, exactly. And then going backwards with that, um, I'm gonna start with the Highwaymen mm. uh, from the 70s with Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, and Chris Christofferson, which sort of revolutionized sort of country music in terms of collaborations because a lot of stuff happened after that with artists doing things. But conversing, conversely, going to the now, that led to the Highway Women. Yes. Uh, with Natalie Humbry, Amanda Shires, uh, Mayor Morris, and Brandy Carlisle. Um, and, you know, the Highwaymen, I think, made, I think, at, at least two records. And those records that they made, um, they just kind of made them because they wanted to make a record and they were all hanging out together and stuff. But those things blew up. They were crazy. Right. Yeah. And once that once that record breaks, then you get Kenny Rogers doing his duets with like everybody in the world and all these other country artists doing it. But that Highway Woman record, Highway Women record is also exceptional, too. Oh, yeah. Ties back into where you are. And then also kind of tying back with some of the themes that Anthony had talked about with uh, Franz Ferdinand and Sparks, uh, the Billy Bragg and Wilco records, uh, Mermaid Avenue one and Mermaid Avenue two. Basically. Billy Bragg got invited by uh, Woody Guthrie's sister to our daughter to go to the archives and find these song these songs they'd written but never recorded and record them. So he's like, "Well, I need a band." So he got Wilco to, to be the band, and they so they basically had to go 
into a time capsule and take somebody else's songs and our words and make songs out of them. And there are songs on the albums that are very much Wilco songs and some that are Billy Bragg songs. But if you ever watch the documentary that goes with it, where, where it shows them making it, it, it very much shows that the collaboration is not, while it's friendly and it's professional, there are some definitive moments of tension about working style and arrangements and things. It's really fascinating, but that first one particularly is really great because you get California stars and all you fascists and, and all kinds of really interesting records on that, um, our songs on that. So that's one of them. And then um, I'm going to uh, mention Gnarls Barkley and, and anything that is Danger Mouse adjacent. So you get, you know, Broken Bells and Rome and the five thousand records a year that uh, Danger Mouse makes with other people. But that uh, that that Gnarls Barkley record, that thing blew up when Crazy hit. Um, there was no stopping that record. Normally, Steph, back when we when we when we were kids and we did this, you'd release a record to college radio, and it would take a month, two months, three months to break commercial. Yeah. Gnarls Barkley Crazy, I think, broke in like two days. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, like college radio stations got it on like you know May third, and then May 9th, it got started getting added to all these Billboard pop stations. Yes, yeah, and that thing just went nuts. And now he's got the um, the record, the bro the second Broken Bells record with uh, James Mercer of The Shins. And I'm not the biggest fan of The Shins, but I like his voice with with um, uh, Danger Mouse on those records because it's a little more suited for him. But it's a really interesting blend of styles with, uh, on those on both of those albums. Very cool. I'm going to um, talk about two soundtrack-related um, collabs. Mm -hmm. um, collabs, like the kids say. Um, First is Magnolia soundtrack, which it, um, I'm really, you know, fascinated by Paul Thomas, Thomas Anderson kind of basing that whole movie off of Amy Mann's songs. Um, he he was basically like wrapping up Boogie Nights and he had the title of Magnolia and he knew he, what he he knew he was like had an idea brewing. And he started listening to like the first two Amy Mann records and some some other um, demos that she was working on and they kind he kind of realized and she realized that they were they like kind of wrote about the same kind of characters and then he that's when he decided to sort of write this whole movie based on her songs and he asked her to write songs for the movie specifically and I think it was you do and save me which were specifically written for the movie that movie but you know other songs were used in it like uh there's that scene um, where everybody's singing wise up, you know, they cut from one character to the other character to the other and so on and so forth. And they're all singing wise up by Amy Mann in some vignette, you know, so cool. That was such a cool sequence. And, um, they, she also covers one by Nelson in that. Uh, that's a wonderful cover. Um, and, uh, I think the last thing is that momentum is in there too. It plays in the background of one scene. So anyway, it's just fascinating to me that he he basically had this whole genesis of a movie from her her songs. And the other movie collaboration thing that I was going to mention is um, Austin Powers because uh, the band, the fake band Ming T, which was Matthew Sweet, Susanna Hoffs. I mean, Mike Myers was in it. But it's really like I feel like Matthew and Susanna were really the the hardcore musicians in there. That the BBC, the song BBC was so yeah. was so um, 
big in a way from that first movie. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> so um, those are my two movie movie yeah. related collaborations. You're not going to stop, are you? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, and you know, getting back to to some of that, I know we talked about this earlier, but like. Mm-hmm. One of the bands I put on my list and I was wrestling going back and forth with it was Electronic. Um, it's Johnny Marr and Bernard Sumner from New Order. And, you know, at first I'm like, well, but then their styles are so fundamentally different. And they both brought their own ideas to the record. When you hear about the making of the first and second albums, um, it really was fairly collaborative. And then they brought in for getting away with it. They brought in Neil Tennant. Um mm-hmm. And then, so that record is is really kind of this interesting moment of the of the end of the '80s, early '90s, where you're starting to see this combination of like that sort of Stone Roses, Acid House, Summer of Love thing with like electronica, like a synergy with that. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of where that comes together. Uh, so that's that's an interesting record. Um, it's way more. It's probably one of the most interesting you know, Pet Shop Boy adjacent collaborations that they've done. It's way more interesting than the Liza Minnelli record or the um, John Paul, John Mike, John Michelle Jare record. But uh, the Ma- Johnny Mars guitar with Bernard Sumner's voice is just really pretty and it really works. So, um, yeah. Cool. And then also, have we talked about this Mortal Coil at all? No. So Ivo Watts from 4AD just kind of decided that he had so many artists coming in to his studios to record and just hanging out in other people's sessions and singing on the records that he's like, let's have these people collaborate. So he would book studio time and, and get the artist in and just see what happens. So the first record, It'll End in Tears, is much more of a collaboration than, than the rest of them. But you get like Elizabeth Frazier on a record with different artists from 480 and things. And the result is these really melodic, songs you know some of them are there's the jeff buckley covers for example later you get the breeders on it you know you get color box um a lot of these really interesting 480 bands that you wouldn't expect to all perform together performing together in a record and it's 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 sort of like it's an entire band based on collaborations there's no set lineup which i think is interesting yep totally cool um, <clears throat> that reminds me of, of, I, I was, I didn't initially have this on my list cause I'm not really sure that this counts as a collaboration. Um, but it's four of the bands that came out of the sort of Paisley underground scene, the Bengals, the three o'clock, the dream syndicate and rain parade did an album where each of the bands covers a song by the other three bands. And the album is called Three by Four. So it was, I guess, participatory in that they all had to, you know, they sort of planned together what songs each group was going to do. But it was a really cool album where all these bands that sort of came up in this scene together are all playing each other's songs. And, you know, the Bengals are doing like my my favorite three o'clock song is called Jet Fighter. And the Bengals do a great version of that. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just really cool to hear like the Dream Syndicate 
do a three o'clock song or a rain parade song, you know, yeah. because they have a similar sound, but they all have are very distinctive artists and they all put a sort of a different spin on each one of these songs. So I'm not really sure that that counts. Yeah. But what you were just talking about reminds me of that. Um, and another thing that I have on my list that I don't know actually counts um, is the newest Tanya Tucker album which Tanya had been sort of out of the scene for a while. The last album she had put out was 10 years. This, this, her most recent album came out in 2019. The previous album was 10 years before that. And it was a covers album that she had no artistic control over. She really kind of came in and did vocals and they didn't even use her preferred take of the vocals and things like this. So she kind of just got out of the scene, you know, altogether. Um, and Brandy Carlisle and her, a friend of hers, Shooter Jennings, who is, uh, of course the son of Waylon and is the piano player in her band came in and they said, Tanya, we love you. We want to work with you. Let's make a new album. Let's make a Tanya Tucker album. Let's revive this career. Let's do the, do it the way that you would have wanted to do it in, you know, the, your last couple of albums when you didn't get the chance to. And the reason I'm not sure that it's that it really counts is that only one of the songs was co-written by Tanya. And um, so Brandy has her two guitar players are uh, twins. Um, and so it basically is Brandy and the twins wrote all the material for the album. Mm hmm. But oh, there's but, yeah. one song. I think that counts. Yeah, I do. There's one song that mm -hmm. they wrote with Tanya. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, it was a big hit and it won like Grammy Awards and the album was really, yeah. really well received and everything. And when I went to see the Bowie film uh, two weekends ago, there was a trailer and I didn't even know that this was happening. There was a trailer before the movie opened. Um, there's a documentary coming out about the making of this album. Wow. which I'm really excited to see because mm -hmm. I really want to sort of dig into the the whole story about how this album came about and the whole creative process about it. So, yeah. And I think it, I think it counts in the same way that the Jack White, Loretta Lynn record counts. Mm, that's a good point. Um, so I think it counts because I think sometimes, you know, it's old, it's, it's cross-generational. It's different artists who've influenced other artists sort of in a room riffing together and seeing what happens. So I think it, yeah, I like so, it. Yeah. Well, in, in that way, then, there's a couple of James Brown albums in the 80s, which are sort of the same thing. There used to be an R&B group called Full Force, mm -hmm. and um, they did. So um, the big comeback album for James Brown was Living in America, of course, with Dan Hartman writing and producing everything. The follow-up to that, and so it was very... I hate to say it. It was very quote unquote white. Yeah. The follow-up album was uh, basically written and produced by full force. And, and it was, uh, you know, one of those things where it's like him reclaiming his, his black audience basically. And it is a fantastic record. It is so good. Um, so I, maybe both of those can count too. I yeah, totally. <laughs> I think it's a, I think, a, you know, there's so many, different kinds of collaborations really like that that can you know exactly like. yeah i mean i was thinking about this too and you know every, nowadays you get things like the most the obvious the glaring one in the face that 
I thought of right away was the Lady Gaga Tony Bennett record. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Right. Oh yeah, yes. good, good one. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I'm like, oh wait a minute, how did I not think of that? But then mm. that made me. That sort of led me down a rabbit hole that brought me to um, the Porgy and Bess record that Ella Fitzgerald did with Louis Armstrong and some of the records they made together mm. because they would they would basically sit in a room like she'd sing and he'd like, how about this? And they'd play. And that's an interesting collaboration between two people that were incredibly um, finicky about their working style, their creative process and who they let in a room with them. And, you know, we get this masterpiece of, of music from them together. Um, you know, and that's sort of the same process you get to going back with, Bing Crosby and Rosemary Clooney, those records they made together were fantastic. Um, so I'm the, I'm the old man in the room. And then, um, you know, I, it, it's interesting too, because there are tons of interesting ones that you sort of come upon later. And for me, it was the, my life in the bush of ghosts, which is Brian Eno and David Byrne. I sort of came to that after talking heads and after Roxy music and I heard some of the other Eno records first. I'm like, okay, I'll go back and listen to this. And it's interesting because it's it's Burns' first record after Talking Heads. And they sample records at a time when it's not really getting done in this manner. They're sampling like Arabic records and world music sounds. And it does a lot of really interesting groundbreaking stuff with, you know, tape loops and and, and early electronic music that's really kind of interesting. Um, so I should probably mention that. And, but also uh, too, really quickly is, uh, David Byrne is also responsible, I think for one of the worst collaborations as well, which is the record he made with Fatboy Slim. That was basically a musical about, uh, Imelda Marcos. Yeah. I remember that. Oh, God. And, and thank you for that. Cause we needed a good segue into some bad collaborations. Mm-hmm. Yes, dishonorable mentions. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What's the number have, one? What's the number I, one? I have one that I want to start with on that. Okay. And this is a classic example of someone falling into a pitfall or the pitfall of doing what's trendy. And it also ties into our Woodstock 99 episode. <laughs> in 2011, our boys in corn put out an album. A collaboration with Skrillex called The Path of Totality. Mm. So they hopped right on board the dubstep train, which, you know, (laughs) now here in 2022, we know that that entire scene lasted about five minutes. So way to date an album (laughs) by going outside of what you normally do just to hop on what's trendy and work with the hot producer who candidly, what the fuck is Skrillex even doing today? you know a lot of producing <laughs> but i mean his it feels like his moment of being a dj and, and the whole dubstep thing is kind of over at this point and that is just such an anomaly in their discography it's yeah yeah it, it dates it really badly <laughs> mm. i have one other thing and it's just a song rather than a full album and someone might possibly, you know, send me death threats for saying this, but I want to give a shout out to Ebony and Ivory. Yeah, I was oh, going to no. say that's number one. <laughs> that was 100% on my list. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That was my number one. It's, it's, it's my number two. <laughs> yeah, I was. Um, it's I was, in my top five. 
was reading some of like the old school reviews of it, and someone <laughs> described it as being saccharin, and I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Ooh, oh yeah, that is the perfect word for it. Yeah. It's too bad because it's a it is a really lovely melody, and there's so many good things about, but it did not work. And it it's just a, and work. it's a great message. Yeah, I know. Right. The best thing that came out of it, though, was the SNL skit. Oh, I was going to say that with Joe Piscopo. With Joe Piscopo. Oh, yeah. my God. Yes. Yeah. Just brilliant. You are black and I am I white. Am. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> You are blind as a bat and um, I have sight. Yeah. I mean, like, it's terrible. Like, <laughs> just hilarious. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's, that's so uh, one bad collaboration led to a great collaboration as a I just. Just to give you an idea of how bad it was, in 2007, BBC Six Music, yeah. their mm-hmm. listeners voted it to be the worst duet in history, which, <laughs> you know. I disagree. Um, I disagree because I think even worse. And, oh. you know, I love McCartney. He's one of my favorite artists of all time, but he has committed two of the greatest music crimes of all time, that being one of them. And... um Say, say, say. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that is a fucking horrible song. <laughs> say what you want, Ugh, Alan. Terrible. <laughs> terrible. Yeah. But, you know, and I I know those charity records don't count, but Ebony and Ivory to me was like, I thought was the rock bottom of what artists coming together could sound like until I heard the We Are the World record. <laughs> Which is just like oh, Dion. I, love oh, I that like record. It's like oh, oh, Dion, find Burt Backrack and just hide. You know, um, <laughs> yeah. I don't think oh. it's as good as the Band Aid record, but I still do like yeah. it. Yeah, and I'm neither of them are as good as the Hearing Aid record, dude. <laughs> or, or Fairy <laughs> Stars. It's so also, good. Yeah, the Fairy Aid record wasn't particularly great either. Oh, but, Fairy Aid! I forgot about that one. Holy shit! Yeah. yeah um, great. Yeah, and I am not a big fan of the – this kind of falls in what you were talking about with GTR. I'm not a big fan of this whole Weezer Toto thing. Oh, God. That's a I mean, number, though. First of all, I want to take Toto into – I mean, I want to take Weezer into a room and punch them, right? But um, – so Weezer does a cover of Africa. Africa. Toto does a cover of Weezer. They start hanging out in the studio together, jamming together, Um they're like basically separated at the hip, you know, not separated, whatever. Um, joined at the hip. Joined at the hip. They were joined <laughs> mm, at the hip. There you go. And it was, it was like, just stop, just please stop. It was. I did not need that. It was painful. Yeah. I am. I um. I was thinking about one that I I'm on the fence about. Like, what does it suck or is it great? And it's right. um. Don't go breaking my heart by Elton John. Oh no, John it's, and great. Oh, you think it's great. It's great. Because I feel great. like it's great in one way. It's it's very campy and hilarious and whatever, but it's, but it's also campy and weird. <laughs> I don't know. It's fun. It makes yeah. you feel good whenever you hear it. Yeah. Um, and it is no way as awful as the RuPaul version, you know. I mean, um, I, I I liked it when I was a kid, and I, mm-hmm. I don't really have the perspective on that, I don't think, to, to separate what might not be so great about it, you yeah. know. <laughs> one one that I that I loved, but have kind of over time have kind of soured on a little bit is the U2. Uh, Pavarotti thing. The oh, I thought you were the BB King. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 don't don't give me. I, just, 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 well, I, I have several issues with that whole thing. But um, the, the the part of the reason why I bring up Miss Sarajevo is, you know, I love the orchestration on it and the Pavarotti solo on it is incredible. You know, but there's a part where Bono's like, 
hey, can you bring a voice level down? You know, he's telling Pavarotti, where, and he's like, I'm fucking Pavarotti, right? And I just love the fact that he told Bonnie I'm Pavarotti, <laughs> Abano. And then, you know, also the three tenors. My God, there's another mm. really interesting collaboration that none of us saw coming and probably ever will listen to much. But Never, ever. But that thing explode like i worked at a uh, i was working at a record store when that came out and people were coming in to like an indie record store to buy it and at the same time i was working at our local pbs store and people were coming there to buy it i couldn't escape that for like four months yeah every day yeah. but it's an inter- there's a lot of that kind of stuff in collaborations too that i don't necessarily think is particularly good mm-hmm. um but we're not the target demographic for that either mm, that is true okay so i've got one that I I'm I'm like Stephanie. I'm on the fence about this one. I don't necessarily think it's a bad collaboration, but a lot of people do, and a lot of people hate this. But I think I'm gonna I'm just gonna sum it up in one word, and that is Lulu. Okay. I was gonna get a I was gonna get a reaction from Anthony. I'm getting a reaction know, from Anthony. I actually like Lulu. Thank you. I don't think it's so, as bad as people make it out. It's to not. Be. And Metallica have done worse collaborations. So, oh, now. I thought you meant Lulu the artist. What? No, no, I'm no. like, what did she no. do? <laughs> Metallica and Lou Reed did an album called Lulu. Yeah. Oh. Most Metallica fans fundamentally misunderstand. Exactly. Agreed. Yeah. And Agreed. They're and looking for a Metallica album, and that's not what it's intended to be. That yeah. said, I, I mean, you haven't lived until you've heard James Hetfield yelling, I am the table repeatedly. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, yeah, that is true. No, I, I think it's great. I mean, it's so weird. It's so out there for Metallica. I'm, yeah. I'm not hugely familiar with Lou Reed, but I know he's done some weird shit in his time. And that <laughs> Lulu was probably one of his Tamer albums, but it was out there for Metallica. Mm-hmm. And yep. I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it's not... It's never going to make my list of best albums or best collaborations of all time, but I enjoyed no. it. I, I, would, I would never put any of the songs on a Lou Reed playlist or a Metallica playlist, yeah. but I enjoy it for what it is. And I, I kind of have the same effect when I listen to the Flaming Lips, Molly Cyrus records. I'm like, why is mm. this happening? And this oddly, this doesn't work, but it does I hate it, but I like it. What is this, right? When I hear do it, I don't know what to think because it's like this works, but it also, I, I hate it too, but I also like it. So it's kind of a weird, I have a love-hate relationship. I'm going to need you to make up your mind on this thing. <laughs> no, it, just, it literally depends on the day of the week. It literally does. I mean, when I first heard it, I'm like, this is terrible. Second or third time I heard it, this is terrible. Now, as I hear a little bit more out of Molly Cyrus, I kind of get a little more what she's going for. Mm -hmm. And when I hear some of the other record within the context of the other music that they made together, it is an interesting contrast that I think is in many ways, like the Lulu record that people don't um, particularly love. So I have to be in a mood for it, but it's not completely uninteresting. I'm going to put some cards down on the table here. I think Miley Cyrus is a very creative and very talented Mm -hmm. artist. And I'm with you that those are not albums for every day, but there are some times where I'm like, Hey, I really want to listen to Miley Cyrus and her dead pets. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it happens. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She's really changed my mind in the last five or so years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I just missed her pretty handily at the beginning of her career. And 
and never really paid much attention until the last. And she's done some really interesting stuff. Yeah, Last album was fantastic. The the track she did, which I wouldn't call a collaboration, it's a guest spot, but the yeah. track she did with Billy Idol is yeah. so good. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually really good. That makes sense too, in a weird way. But um also, you know, the first Revolting Cox record is great. And the and Beer Steers and Queers is, is an interesting record. Everything in between is kind of a mess, but just the the fact that any of these artists can collaborate while doing so many drugs in a studio and produce one, if not like three or four albums together is pretty incredible. But then you get the side effect of that is pig face, right? Which Martin Atkins from PIL, who's amazingly talented, kind of loses his voice in this comp in in this mega band, right? In this project that he's working on. Um, He's, you know, the driving force behind it, but I don't hear him musically all the time. And so that's kind of disappointing to me as well. Can All right. we end it on a positive note? And Yeah, yeah. Or no, I was just going to say, do it, does anybody else have anything that they want to throw out before I we have, wrap up for the night? I have one other positive note, but I'll let Steph go first. Okay. Um, we never, we didn't talk about David Bowie and Queen under pressure. Which yeah, yeah that's like true. Which is huge, fantastic. Yeah, which is just like so amazing. That was again mm-hmm. on the... Uh, greatest hits that i was listening to in the car oh yeah over and over but it was a live version which was so good too it was like they could put they pulled it off live it was amazing a, a queen live version yep mm-hmm. yeah 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 because yep. they never performed it together no no it was definitely it was just queen. yeah yeah they, um, they both performed it separately mm-hmm. and and god damn it they were both at Live Aid. They were basically yeah. like one yeah. after the so, other. Why the fuck? I don't Instead know. Instead of Bowie farting around with Mick Jagger trying to pull off this stupid duet yeah. across continents, just fucking do your duet that you've already recorded. <laughs> when, that's yeah. a big hit with the band that's going on the stage right, right before you. Exactly. Oh, In- the opportunities that have been missed. That song is one of my karaoke go-tos when hey. someone wants to do a song together. Um, I've done it with all three of my podcast co-conspirators from Watchers in the Fourth oh, Dimension. <laughs> I'm going to put Riley and Don on blast because they both made me <laughs> sing the Freddie parts, which mm. I, mm, Julie very nicely let me sing Bowie, so Yay. which is far more suited to my my voice. That's so um, funny. <laughs> I've got like just I'm going to just name a few others. Mockingbird by Carly Simon and James Taylor, which they didn't Mm. write, but it was amazing. I Got You, Babe, UB40 and Chrissy Hind. Amazing cover. I just played that last week. Oh, well, there you go. Oh, yeah, yeah, you did. I literally I was I was asleep. It literally hit me in the middle of the night when I was thinking about collaboration. I literally just woke up and thought about it and wrote it down for collaboration. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And just two more, which are both involve Kelly Jones, which I don't know if you know who Kelly Jones is, amazing like singer songwriter. She did a great album with Mike Viola called Melon, which is just five songs, but it's absolutely beautiful. And then she did an uh, an a whole album with Teddy Thompson, who's Richard Thompson's son. I love his voice, and they sound amazing together. It's called Little Windows. So those two Kelly Jones albums are fantastic hmm. with, the, with cool. Mike Viola and, and yeah. Teddy. And oh, go ahead. I was going to say the last one I want to mention, and this ties in interests of myself, Rob, and Steph in different directions. And if Steph and I ever do karaoke, it's the song that I would want to do with Steph. (laughs) 
and that is uh, Cool Places, Scott <gasps> and Jane Weedlin. Yay! I'll be Jane any day. Switch the parts. Just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to, to surprise everyone, Steph will do... Um, yeah. We'll do Russell, Russell and I'll sing, I'll sing Jane. <laughs> That's good. Um, obviously, you know, Georgia Moroder's done a ton of these sort of project things with folks where he collaborates when he works with them. But the, the stuff he did on Def Punk was great. But I think that Get Lucky with Pharrell and Niall Rogers and Daft Punk all at once, mm-hmm. the fact that that record wasn't even planned it was just them screwing around in the studio and we got that is like amazing yeah uh, and sorry one more on Giorgio and and I, I'm gonna have to give Sparks another shout out here yeah number one in heaven yeah that whole album is just absurd yeah. I mean it was an in, English <sighs> language electro pop album a year before anyone else was doing it the way it inspired, you know, <laughs> Joy Division, the way it inspired Pet Shop Boys, the way it inspired so many other bands yeah. afterwards. It's Soft Cell, it, Blamange, yeah. Yeah. Part yeah. Humanly, it's, everything. It's yeah. So stupidly good. <laughs> it's still great. It is still yeah. really great. If um, they came out and put that out now, it would it would still hold up as a 2022 album and they and put think, it out in 1979. I <laughs> think for me, when I talk to the, the kids about the sparks, um, that's my gateway album. Yeah. You know, so, um, when you talk to the kids about the sparks. Yeah. I was, I was trying to sound on like, the internets on the, on no, on the radio. Cause I'm old. Um, <gasps> the radio. Yeah. What's kids ask your parents? Um, not the CV, <laughs> but the radio. Um, I have I I have two I know I talked about this before, but I have two really quick one-off things that happen. Um and a lot of it has to do with I remember hearing these uh DJing when I when I DJed at the limelight, I used to play these and people used to go nuts. And I I knew I did well when I made Dave Kendall come up and ask me what this record was. But um Trent Reznor made a record with uh the, the ministry guys. Under Skitty the guise, uh, and, and and one or two people from Skinny Puppy, under the guise of one thousand homo DJs. Oh yeah, and it's yeah. the cover of Supernaut uh, by Sabbath, which is uh, oddly enough my the, the gateway to my Sabbath period, where I, I just consumed as much Black Sabbath in two weeks as I could. I went out and bought like every record Bleaker Bob's had of Black Sabbath, um, which I think you remember, Steph, because I think I went to see you at the office one day. And said, "Tell me everything you can about Black Sabbath," and you went, "Are you well?" <laughs> Um, and, then, and then they made a record at the same time with Cabaret Voltaire called oh Acid Horse, No Name, No Slogan, which is like what weird. And then when she, and then when Cabaret Voltaire is making that record in Chicago, they go down the street and start making a house record with like Marshall Jefferson and all these house music guys. And so that that's sort of like a double wow. whammy of wow. Yeah, Alan, are yeah. we out of time? Not if you have another thing to add. I don't. Was, that oh, well, then why are you asking? Because <laughs> I'm keeping an eye on the time. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I was just about to bring us into our conclusion. So as as set up, this is it for this week. We've exhausted our conversation about collabs, but I'm sure there's more that we haven't covered. So 
listeners, your job is to email us or comment on a post that you find somewhere in the internet land with any collaboration that you can think of that is notable that we missed. If you have something that you love, if you have something you don't love, let us know what it is and we will shout it out on next week's show. Speaking of next week's show, next week is Halloween. So next week is our Halloween show. We're going to be devoting the show to songs of the macabre, the sounds of the spooky season. So stay tuned for that. Anthony, where can people track you down on the internet? So firstly, I'd like to say I ain't no collaborator. Um, but you can also find me on the maybe maybe cut that out. That didn't, work. That didn't land how I wanted it to. Um, well, now I'm not doing it. So <laughs> I can also be found on the Watchers in the Fourth Dimension podcast, where we are watching our way through all of Doctor Who from 1963 until now. We're currently in the beginning of the Tom Baker era, the most iconic era of the original run of the show for a lot of people. Uh, and you can find us on all the usual podcast places, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pandora, etc., etc., etc. Find us there. And also on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at, at Watchers4D. All right, Stephanie. Uh, you can find me on Bandcamp. You can find me on my website, which is therearebirds.com. And you can find me on Instagram at there underscore are underscore birds. And on Facebook at Stephanie Seymour Music. And on all the streaming platforms everywhere. <laughs> and Rob. Uh, you can find me on KDHX on Wednesday nights from 7 to 9. Um, if you have a life and you're doing other things. You can listen to the archive stream. It's archived for two weeks. You can listen to it then. Um, it's central time, but you can listen to it online on, at, uh, through the website as well. Uh, also through uh, the Weekend Justice podcast on Need Coffee. And uh, I've been doing this for a while, but I, I don't think I've ever mentioned it here. One of the things I do with the radio show is every month I do a playlist of new music called Juxtaposition Selected, and it drops every month because um, there's literally just tons of records that I can't play on the radio and of all styles. And I just can't get to it because two hours is not enough. Um, so I make a playlist every month of new music. So if you want to um, be down with uh, what the new beats on the street are, there you go. If you want to know the platters that matter, you can check that out. Well, I haven't heard that expression in a long time. <laughs> all right. So I've got another podcast called earth station trek it is a star trek podcast i have my small publishing company called cosmic press i have a brand new solo music podcast that i have just launched called alan's record bin where i pull just a random song out of my extensive record collection talk about the song talk about the history of the song talk about why it's important to me and in my collection and then play the song and you can find that I'm going to say this like it, it is actually a thing, but it's only because it's the only platform that it exists on so far. It is a Spotify exclusive. Ooh. Right. But that's only because it's a Spotify. It's built on the Spotify platform. So the full song plays if you listen to it on Spotify and only 30 seconds of the song will play if you listen to it on any other platform. So, so far it's just on Spotify. So you can hear the whole song. 
Right. Yeah. Anyway, so that wraps it for this week. Stick around next week. We will be doing our Halloween show to get you in the mood for the spooky season. So we'll see you again then. Take care. Have a great week. Be good. And we'll and also give out good Halloween candy. Damn it. All right. Exactly. All right. Full balls, please. <laughs> Everybody take rock. care. Have a good week. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.